Coming up on this week's show, Poppy Dennison goes beyond and undercover. Plus, Michael Jensen is here, and he takes us back to the late 1700s with Johnny Appleseed. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode number 62 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. Obviously. Hi. Hello. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to our audience. Yes. Um, we just got back from vacation. We did. It was a little vacation, working vacation. We were in Southern California. If you watched Facebook at all last week with us, you, you saw us all over Disneyland and uh, California Adventure and a little bit on uh, hanging around in Santa Monica as I went through the work week. We'll talk all about those goodies a little later. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's put a pin in that. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Come back to it. <laughs> Until then. Uh, some news. Some some news of the world, or news <laughs> of the writing world, at least. Um, you, as as all of you know from the last time we were here, we didn't complete Nano on time. We completed Nano on December fifth, when the fast draft of our co-writing project went over fifty-two thousand words. So that was exciting. Uh, the next steps on that project are it's going to pass into your hands. To, to, you know, do whatever kind of magic you're going to throw onto it. And uh, magic. the goal is that by close to the end of the first week of January, we have a complete first draft. Mm-hmm. That then we will, you know, doctor up a little bit more and send on its merry way. So looking forward to that. In holiday news, uh, T.M. Smith, a uh, friend of the podcast, who also is known as Tammy Middleton, is doing a 12-author giveaway on her blog starting today, Monday, December 12th, and it'll run for 12 days through December 23rd. You can go to ttcbooksandmore.com, or just go to the show notes and click on the link over there, and you'll look for the blog posts that are tagged with 12 Days of Giveaway Event. Uh, some really good stuff coming there. Uh, I will be giving something away on Wednesday, December 14th, uh, a Rivals audio ebook combo giveaway. Mm-hmm. So check that out. There's good stuff there from uh, 12 authors who are pretty awesome, if I do say so myself, since cool. I'm in that group. Cool. Uh, also this past week, uh, the Rainbow Awards were doled out. Those came out on December 7th and December 8th. Uh, those are administered, administered by Elsa Roll, uh, who has done this for a number of years, giving out uh, prizes. She assembles a panel of judges, and they go through hundreds of books in dozens of categories. Uh, it's a pretty big deal if you're not aware of it, and we do have a link in the show notes so you can see all of the categories and the winners. But I was honored for the first time ever. I came up as a runner-up in two categories, not just one, but two categories, which was very cool. Because I've been competing in these awards since I started publishing, and this is the first time I've I've managed to come out like this. Um, it was in second place in Best LGBT Anthology Collection for Contemporary Gay Romance with the Sweet and Sexy Collection that came out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And a runner-up for the William Neal Award for Best Gay Contemporary Romance for Hattrick 3 Penalty Shot. So I was pretty I was pretty excited about that. That middle of the week kind of made things a little giddy while we were down south getting getting some awards. So thanks to the judges who uh, voted on my work. Congratulations to all of the winners uh, who were who were uh, receiving of honors. And thanks to Elsa for putting out a great event as usual this year. Mm-hmm. 
A um, couple other things to note on that. Uh, the awards raised just over $14,000 for LGBT charities uh, because the authors who enter their work are asked, it's not mandatory, but they're asked to put in a minimum of $25 towards uh, LGBT charity uh, to have their work entered into the competition. Uh, and as I said, show notes have the link to the complete list of winners in all the genres. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So this past week, while you were down south uh, on business, uh, as you usually do once per month... Mm -hmm. Um, I tagged along, and we decided to uh, make a mini vacation of it, and we spent a couple of days at Disneyland. Yeah, experiencing Christmas uh, for the first time there. It is very sparkly there for Christmas. Mm -hmm. I had a great time with it. Yeah, uh, we walked. We did three three rides, <laughs> three rides in two days, which yes. may sound ridiculous, but our targets were the rides in the Magic Kingdom that change for Christmas. Uh, the Jungle Cruise becomes the Jingle Cruise. I don't think they changed the name of the Haunted Mansion. No. But it does take on a Nightmare Before Christmas motif. And Small World changes to be Holidays Around the World. I don't think they changed the name of that either. But it's pretty amazing how Small World can be... That song can be meshed right in with Christmas carols. <laughs> <laughs> Made you go through. And I have to say, Small World was so sparkly and pretty. Yes. The way that they redo the building. It's really lovely. Yeah. They do a really nice job. Um, I don't recommend going during the holidays uh, if you have children or are desirous of actually experiencing the park. Uh, like we said, we were there for two days and we rode three rides. That is because it is literally jam-packed. Yes, especially Saturday, <laughs> so, Saturday afternoon into yeah. evening was insane. Yeah, um, we we went because we wanted to just see the Christmas. Uh, we went in 2015, uh, and during that trip, we experienced you know Disneyland yeah. and all it really has to offer. Because it really so, was an off season time, so we weren't really looking to like enjoy rides and stuff. We were just wanted to be be a part of the experience. And uh, while lovely and sparkly, it is crowded. So we, we, we knew that going in, mm -hmm. so we're, we were pretty chill about that, uh, but be forewarned, uh, it's pretty bananas. Yes. <laughs> uh, while there, we also went to California Adventure, and for the first time, we saw the theme park's uh, Frozen show, mm -hmm. which is a Broadway-style production of the now-iconic musical uh, film Frozen. Yeah. Um, they are working on a Broadway production of Frozen, but this is the first uh, big-scale version to make it to the stage, uh, and it is pretty awesome. We really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. It was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, we, and I, I'll recommend there, too, uh, the way we got into it without queuing in line forever and ever. Uh, there's a lunch package you can get at a couple of the uh, California Adventure restaurants buy an a la, uh, not an a la carte, uh, prefix lunch, and uh, you can get VIP passes to Frozen, which lets you get in and choose your seat before the masses. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. 
Uh, but I really enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of awesome stagecraft in, in, in use there, uh, especially the use of the screens mm-hmm. to, to set the setting. So good job, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you also got to go to the Ripped Bodice for the first time. I did. What did you think of the romance bookstore? Well, in my opinion, it was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed going to the Ripped Bodice. It's really great. Um, if you are a fan of uh, r- the romance genre in all of its many forms, I highly recommend getting down to... Is it Culver City? It's mm-hmm. in Culver City. Getting down to Culver City and checking out the Ripped Bodice. The, uh, they've got uh, pretty much a little bit of everything there. Um, I browsed the shelves. Uh, Jeff talked to one of the owners. Yeah, um, I talked. I talked to to B while you were browsing. Yeah, so we had a, a pleasant evening there. Uh, I highly recommend checking up their upstairs attic space where they have all of their secondhand books. Uh, just uh, it's packed to the rafters. Uh, they got a little bit of everything up there, especially some uh, vintage. Harlequin old school stuff from the 50s and 60s that are really, really pretty. Um, I picked up some uh, really wonderfully wacky um, old paperbacks from the 90s by Dara Joy. Uh, so I highly recommend it. I thought it was, uh, it's a really great place. Yeah. And we're pleased to announce that uh, in the new year, uh, you will find Jeff Will's Big Gay Fiction podcast on one of the shelves in the LGBT section of the store. Uh, they are currently running for the holiday season, another campaign that gives people an opportunity to sponsor shelves inside the store. Uh, you can check the show notes for, that will link you directly to the page should you cho- want to sponsor uh, a, a shelf in the store. But we jumped on that opportunity. So in the LGBT section, uh, there'll be a little plaque on a shelf that uh, indicates that it's uh, proudly sponsored by us. And we're very happy to to be there with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, theater, more theater. Hairspray Live was this week. Yes, it was. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. There were some glitches. There were some technical glitches, as there always are. Maybe some not great camera angles. But on the whole, I thought they captured Hairspray as a stage production quite quite nicely. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed it as well. I thought it was very well cast. I thought the evening uh, went off quite lovely. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, this wasn't probably the most successful, um, live production that NBC has had. The initial ratings were a little down from last mm-hmm. year's Wiz. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's indicative of the quality. Uh, I think, uh, most people seem to believe that it's just, a indicative of the night that it was on. Yeah, because this did shift from, <laughs> usually they run Thursday, but now NBC has football on Thursday, so the, the musical dumped back, jumped back to Wednesday. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a, um, it's an alternative version to the film, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice in its own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the stage version. We were very lucky to see uh, the Broadway production uh, extremely early in its yeah. run. We saw like the second or third preview performance. Yeah, we did. Uh, and uh, it's spect- spectacular on Broadway. Uh, if you ever happen to see a road show or a local production, uh, check it out. We enjoy the original production very, very much. Yeah. Uh, and I think this uh, televised version uh, really captured the energy uh, of the show. Yeah, it captured the energy of the show. It was great to see... Some things like Harvey Firestein getting to recreate his Tony nom- his Tony winning performance yeah, from definitely. the original Broadway cast. 
uh, I thought, was it Maddie Borello, her name, who was mm-hmm. Tracy? Or that's close. I'm sorry if I mangled your name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was a great Tracy. Yes. It was great to see former Tracys, uh, Ricky Lake and Marissa Jarrett Winoker, present. And having a little cameo moment. And Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson rocked it. Slayed it. Can we get a... Slayed it. Can we just get a a revival going with her in it? Exactly. Uh, I noticed that she made the guy playing Link cry during her big number in the record store. And little Inez kind of wiped his tear. It was so cute. Um... Two things I thought were strange and kind of out of place. I didn't like Ariana Grande at all. I thought her voice was wrong for the role. And I wish they'd recast that to get something, a, a stronger voice in there. And I thought they were trying too hard to compete with Grease with the whole outside thing. Because I found it strange that it was always nighttime in Baltimore. Even during Good Morning Baltimore. <laughs> that back lot looks so good in the daytime promo shots they were doing. That it's a shame that it couldn't have been lit better for TV to portray some daytime activities because it's just not always nighttime in Baltimore. I believe, I think the the show itself was very very strong. I mm-hmm. think the uh, the false um, the false excitement they were trying to build up around the show uh, was kind of lame. Like Darren Chris yeah. flailing like a muppet. During the interstitial moments, it's yes. like, woo, look how live we are. It's amazing. It's like, yes, we get it. We understand, Darren. Yeah. Okay. But uh, um, other other than trying a teeny bit too hard, um, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. An look, excellent production. I look forward to the DVD. Yes, it's going to be really good. Uh, moving on. Uh, we had Poppy Dennison on this week. We invited her back to come to the show. And talk to us about the expansion that's happening of the James Bond Desires lines. Uh, so let's check that out. So we're happy to welcome back Poppy Dennison to the podcast. She is the Dream Spinner Press Marketing Director. Welcome, Poppy. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. It's good to see you again. Um, okay, for we, having had, me. we had you on almost exactly one year ago. Um, yeah. You made a terrific announcement. You were announcing the uh, brand new, brand spanking new Dreamspun Desires line from Dreamspinner Press. And mm-hmm. we're having you on today because you've got a new announcement. We do. We have just recently announced that we're expanding the Dreamspun Desires line mm-hmm. to include two new imprints. Uh, Dreamspun Beyond are the more of the paranormal type books. And Dream Sun Undercover are like the mystery, suspense, danger kind of titles. So it'll be, we'll have separate lines for readers who have interest in very specific types of category romances. Look at you being I know, excited. That's the face that I, was I like that super excited face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, um, well, and is- it's, it's fun because, the, again, the thing that we emphasized when we first started talking about doing category romances is, you know, readers tend to have a very specific thing that's like their heart's desire. You know, it's like your secret like thing. Like I told you guys, mine is secret babies. Everybody knows that mine's secret babies. Now I think I'm gonna have to come up with a new one though, because we got so many secret baby submissions and it made me very happy. So I gotta figure out what I want next. Um, but yeah, so everybody has that. And so it really helps readers be able to find those specific like heart desire kind of books. You know, what is your secret little trope crush that you really want to read? And this is going to make it a lot easier. I mean, we didn't even include paranormal 
um, in Dreams, Fun, Desires Salon. You know, it all had to be contemporary romance. And that was one of the things that we realized was a hole in, in that product that they're, you know, a lot of readers really love paranormal. They want that sort of bite-sized book. It's a little bit smaller. It's really romance focused, you know, paranormal romances with the huge world building are so popular and I love them. That's one of my guilty pleasures. But there's something about just reading that quick read with an alpha werewolf and you know that it's going to be really, you know, romantic and steamy and all of those things. So, you know, that's what we're going to cover in Dreams Fun, Desire, Dreams Fun Beyond. Mm-hmm. And then for Dreams Fun Undercover, we had so many readers reaching out to us and saying that their favorites were you know, I say the men with handcuffs, but, you know, it can be the PIs and the, you know, cops and FBI agents and CIA agents and secret agents, anything like that, that, you know, where there's that element of danger and you do, you have, again, have an alpha male basically who's like kind of that large and in charge and they're running from danger or bodyguards and all of those sorts of things that are such great tropes that readers just really respond to. Um, so we've got a whole line just for those with Dream Sun Undercover. I'm just, I can't wait. I'm, I'm more excited about Dream Sun Undercover than I am about Dream Sun Beyond, believe it or not. I'm just so excited to know exactly what I'm going to get when I pick up those books. Can we get a little more specific about what each of these new lines is going to entail, starting with uh, Dream Sun Beyond, uh, which covers the large uh, umbrella genre of paranormal. So what does paranormal mean for the beyond line? For Dreams Fun Beyond, it's it really can be anything paranormal, just like, you know, any other paranormal romance. Again, it's that it's that boiled down element of of romance's front and center. So <clears throat> you can have a lot of fun. You know, we've recently published some um were cats. We've had, you know, dystopian were dogs. Um, books come out. We've had um, we had a gargoyle shifters. So we've had a lot of those things that are really fun, and you and you're kind of like, oh man, this is how can you do a gargoyle? Like th- these are the things that as a reader I get I get excited about. I think, oh, how'd they do that? Or why didn't I think of that? That's usually where my brain goes. Um, but it just again, it gives you that place to have that little bit of freedom where you don't you're kind of not forced to have all of that extra world building if you don't want to. You, mean you can fit it in, but it's that really focused element and it's, you can, you can concentrate on those specific tropes that you want. You know, do you have the alphas mate? Is that your trope? You know, I call, I've <laughs> recently in the, in the past few years, I called it the smell mate syndrome. I, I did a blog post about it, but you know, I don't know if you're a paranormal readers, but that's like, they smell their mate and they yep. know instantly that that's the yeah. one. It gives you a little bit of freedom to play with ideas like the smell of mate because you don't have to have a lot of build up and explanation to it. You can really focus on how is this alpha going to convince this guy that smells so good that he's the one, right? So it's just it's just a way to make it a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. But it can be anything. It doesn't have to be a shifter. It can be a gargoyle. It can be witches, warlocks, dragons. Oh, dragons. Mark that one down. I want some dragons. So, but, so there's some real ways that you can have fun, you know, with that and keep it really concentrated and romantic. And as well, I, I assume having fun with paranormal, the, the same thing goes for the undercover line, the whole men in danger trope. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah. and the thing is, again, you know, your, your plot, a lot of times in 
romantic suspense or in let's call it mysteries okay if you're writing a true mystery yeah the mystery itself and solving that mystery is the primary focus of the, of the book right in a romantic suspense the romance is still the primary focus so with dreams fun undercover you have that opportunity to have the romance be the front and center but they're still trying to figure out this mystery elements whatever that may be um along the way and you know if there's handcuffs involved <laughs> Not just saying. Just saying. <laughs> so you're looking for dragons in 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 beyond and handcuffs and undercover. It's pretty that, much I mean, you're you know, it's the little things that make me happy. I what can I say? It really is the little things. I'm easy to please. Yeah. I have my secret babies now, so now I need some dragons and some handcuffs. Dragons with handcuffs? That's taking it too far. <laughs> now so. with Dreamspun Desires, we get. Uh, two books every month. What is the frequency going to be for these two new lines? We're still ironing out the exact details on that, to be honest with you, because we've just opened up the lines for submissions. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to um, hold off until the first of the year to actually announce how we're going to work that subscription process. I can tell you that the Dream Fund Desire subscription itself will not change. So, you know, if you get Dreams, Fun, Desires, you're still going to get your two books a month for Dreams, Fun, Desires. That part won't change. What we're looking at is making these sort of add-on bonuses. So you can have, you can expand your subscription, you know, to include um, one or both of the new lines as part of your subscription package. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> but the actual details of the timing and how often and it's going to depend on author response, to be honest with you. I know you spoke to the, the fact that you're still ironing out the details. Is the mm -hmm. hope that you'll have um, one release in each of the lines uh, every month? Is yeah, that sort that, of the that's plan? That's what we're shooting for, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, that's a lot of great stuff to look forward to in 2017. Is, I know. Is there any... Um, is there any, like, sneak peek uh, of next year that you can give us for uh, what's coming our way uh, in the Dreamspun line? You know, I, I've taken a look at the schedule because I, I like to cheat. I'm such a cheater. I mean, let's say, <laughs> say you know. Um, I have, there's, there's so many things. We have some continuing series coming out. Um, we have Charlie Cochet, Jacob Flores, Ava Drake. They all have um, ongoing series. Uh, B.A. Tortuga has an ongoing series. Um, in the line, so we'll be seeing more of those. Um, and we're just really seeing just so many really great contemporaries. I mean, this is just, if you're a contemporary romance reader, Dreams, Fun, Desires is the place to be. It's just such a great, you know, there's guarantees. And, and those tropes that are so beloved, they're covered. I mean, we've got We've got a twin book over. I just, um, I've got it sitting out here. It's the one I just got, the twin book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Like, oh, it's like, awesome. I literally just it? Oh, so, and I love, um, Claire London is such an amazing it's writer. Really, so I'm like, it's really right on top good. of my list. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, our um, our authors have embraced this so, so well. I mean, I just... It's so fun. I look forward to that. When I see that box in my mail every month, I just... I get excited still, you know, and this is sort of like my brainchild, but I'm still excited about it. And, and I think it's clear that our readers are as well. They're just really enjoying what this, this line represents. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've been catching up on my dream spun desires as I'm sure I'll probably be reviewing a couple in, in this 
particular episode that that we're speaking of. Um, but uh, it's funny. I've uh, just been sort of picking them randomly out of order, out of my Dreamspun TBR pile. And it's it's funny. I think um, three of the four last ones I've read have been uh, marriage or relationship of convenience. And reading them all right in a row, I'm like, <laughs> I wonder why I gravitated to that. <laughs> and I've actually loved every single one of them. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't even realize that was something I was kind of into. Um, well, and I think that's the thing, especially with that trope. Mm-hmm. When I when I first thought about doing these, I knew that there were some tropes that were not represented in our genre. And that was one of them. Marriage of convenience is really something. How do you write that? You know, and can you sell it? But that's what uh, category romance gives you permission to do. It gives you permission to explore those classic tropes and readers know what they're going to get. They know they're getting a classic trope when they, when they have a category romance. So it's a, it's an amazing, that's one of my favorites too. Also my other one is when the bad boys come home, you know, the black sheep run out of town and he comes back and, you know, there's always a sexy librarian, you know, that that's, you know, so those are the kind of things and, and it's, it gives you that freedom if you're writing just, to, you know our traditional contemporary romances. It's sort of like ah, marriage of convenience. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to feel like it's a real contemporary. Because when you think about that, it does seem so tropey to do that sort of idea. I think that that's what that's the magic of what Dreams Fun Desires is. Is it's that sort of implicit permission to go there with those classic tropes that you absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I'm enjoying the line a whole lot, and I am frankly really looking forward to these two new ones. I'm glad you guys came up with them. Oh, me too. I was, you know, when we first talked about starting the line, we we talked about this at that point. Like, do we want to go ahead and launch big? Do we want, you know, we knew readers love paranormals. They love mystery suspense. But, you know, at the time, it just didn't seem to make sense. You know, we would keep it concentrated. But the readers have just responded so well to this line. And we thought, let's give them more. You know, let's give them more of what they're loving. Why not? You know, um, it's just too fun. It's too fun not to. So, so for those of us who, you know, broke our teeth, so to speak, on broke our teeth. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee. <laughs> Hold on. Well, let's recover. <laughs> But for those of us who, those were the books that we read first, you know, those are the, the books that really got us into reading romances. That's what we want to go back to. There's something about that that's just sort of comforting. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way when you're reading them, but I'm just very comforted by them. I think that's, you know, the true readers, the true romance readers among us. I think that's the feeling that we're able to capture with this. So. Well, Poppy, thank you so much for coming on for a few minutes and talking all this fun dream spun information oh absolutely anytime anytime so we thank poppy for stopping by and giving us the scoop there uh if you want to check out the show notes we've got the links to the submission guidelines for both the undercover and beyond lines which will be helpful if you're a writer out there who wants to look at submitting to those or if you're a reader and you want to get just a little more insight into those new lines Uh, and there's something special going on 
these first couple of days this week. Mm-hmm. December 12th, the day that this particular episode goes live, is Poppy Dennison's birthday. Happy birthday, Poppy. Happy birthday, Poppy. And to celebrate December 12th and 13th, all Dreamspun Desire ebooks are going to be $3.50 each at the Dreamspinner Press site. So be sure and check out the links in the show notes to take advantage of that and stock up on any titles that you uh, haven't uh, gotten in the past year. Yeah, this is a great price for those ebooks, so yeah. it's well worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also this week uh, have Michael Jensen with us. Uh, you, you may have heard a couple past episodes we've talked about. His book, Ban and Beast, uh, which has just been re-released from its original title as Frontiers. Uh, so we got to talk to him about this series that he's got with Man and Beast, and soon Man and Monster, which comes out in January, plus the new series he's working on. I'm excited to welcome Michael Jensen to the podcast. Michael is an author and editor who has just released the first book in the Savage Land series, which takes place on the American frontier. That first book, Man and Beast, is being followed up with Man and Monster, which comes out in January. A second series, The Drowning World, will debut in 2017 with three books. Michael lives in Seattle with his husband and writer, Brent Hartinger. Welcome, Michael. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Good. Great to see you again after after getting to meet you in person at GRL. You as well. You as well. So let's jump right in with the Savage Land series. Tell us what these books are about. Well, these books are about the story. They're they're both standalones. Um, they're in a series called The Savage Lands, but you can read each one separately. And they're each about a a gay man who finds himself, who goes to the frontier and finds himself. And when I say gay man, obviously we're talking two hundred plus years ago. They're set in 1797 and 1799. So obviously, gay identity was a a very different thing back then. So let's just say it was it was men who were attracted to men and. What I found interesting about writing in that time and in that place was I think a lot of, of people who didn't fit in sexual orientation, you know, for whatever reason, didn't fit in uh, back east, headed out west where there were a lot fewer people and people were much more focused on staying alive and, and you know, finding their food and defending themselves and didn't really care about, you know, who was sleeping with who or, or whatever secret you were running from. So it seemed like a great uh, setup for that kind of, of story that I wanted to tell. And then, of course, Man and Beast is actually based on a historical figure who, in fact, did um, grow up in Massachusetts and then wandered out west and kept moving west his entire life. And that, that's John Chapman, who's the, the hero and protagonist of Man and Beast. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, for people who don't know, was Johnny Appleseed. He was Johnny Appleseed. Yep, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. In a way... Johnny Appleseed is such a we we all think of him as the cartoon character I think because of of he's you know we we learn about him in you know preschool and in first and second grade and and then we don't ever really think anything else about him and I confess that was true of me um, I didn't actually get the idea for Man and Beast until one day Brant who was uh, doing entertainment journal, journalism back then was interviewing Shelley Duvall uh, who wrote, wrote, ran a show called Fairy Tale Theater. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode with Molly Ringwald and I think Martin Short, and it was about Johnny Appleseed, and they played them as having a romantic relationship. And I have no idea why, but something in the back of my mind said, I don't remember Johnny Appleseed ever having a relationship. This this feels a little, I don't know, I don't quite buy this. And the idea sort of hung around in my head, and finally one day I said, you know, I think I'm going to do some research into this, and looked into it. And John Chapman never had any recorded relationship with a woman, any interest in women. And I started thinking more about why that might be and how that 
might have informed his moving out to the frontier. And that gave birth to the, the idea of, of uh, Man and Beast, then Frontiers. Um, the book, book first came out in 1999. Yeah, which I happen to have right here. Oh, there you go. The original <laughs> cover. Hello. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a while. Which actually, this was you know, leads to my next question because, as you said, Man and Beast was Fireland, uh, Frontiers, yeah. and then uh, the Man and Monster is Firelands. Yep. What prompted you to revisit these after not quite twenty years, but you know, fifteen-ish? The what prompted it was mostly I had people getting in touch with me um, and asking me if they could get copies of Frontiers and Firelands. And Firelands uh, went out of print uh, quite a few years ago. Allison unfortunately went under, and uh, Simon Schuster had the right to Frontiers, but they weren't they weren't available in any bookstores. And Simon Schuster was only doing a print on demand version, and it was it was quite expensive, and and people just it wasn't practical for people to get. And I tried several times to get the rights back to Frontier so that I could publish, you know, a new version and especially an ebook version. People, that's what people really wanted. You know, the, the rise of Kindles and e-readers, everybody wanted to read an e-version and there weren't rights to either. And it, after many years of, of going back and forth with Simon Schuster, I finally got them to give me the e-rights uh, back. They still have the paperback rights. Um, so I got the rights to that, and then I had the rights to Allison once they went out of business. And I thought, well, okay, now I can I can redo these, or I can republish these. And before I decided to do that, I thought, I have a chance here to go back and look at them and take in some of the feedback that I've received from, from readers over the years. Because, you know, there are very few perfect books out there. And, you know, it's not often you get a chance to do a redo. And I thought, well, I actually have a chance to, A, go back and revisit them, sort of explore them again, and B, make any changes that I wanted to make. Um, and so that's exactly what I did. And especially with, there's not a lot of changes. There's a new chapter in, in Man and Beast that, that wasn't in Frontiers. I sort of helped, I feel, felt like bridge the gap between um, John and Daniel, especially their sexual relationship. Uh, so I added that. And there weren't a lot of other changes to Frontiers other than I, reading it again, I kind of realized I, I love doing research and I love authenticity. So I kind of went overboard on the dialect, I think, in Frontiers. I think I reading it again all these years later, and it's fascinating when you read something that far removed from having writing it, having written it, your ownership um, and your ego is a lot less involved because it's almost like, oh, someone else wrote this book. And you're reading it, and you're not possessive over every little word because you really don't remember having written much of it. At least that's my case. So I was I was able to look at it with, with a much more cold clinical eye. And the dialect was something that jumped out at me that sort of like, my God, this guy really you know needs to dial it back. Yes, you want that authentic feel, but you don't want to make it, make it inaccessible to the reader. So I dialed back that part of Frontier. And then in Firelands, now Man and Monster, I actually did make a substantive change to the end of the book. Mm. Um, happens to one of the characters in Firelands that left a lot of people upset at the time. And while at the time I would have fought to the death, to, and I still don't think it was, it's a defensible decision, but it plays into a tragic gay stereotype that all these years later, it's like, I, I don't want to contribute to that. I don't need to add to that body count, um, and I'd rather have it give it a different ending. So, no, well, I guess no one's read it yet because it's not out yet. But hopefully, people who do who, who have read Firelands and read this will 
you know, they'll be okay with the change. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not too worried about it. And people who haven't read it, I think, the, I think it's a more satisfying ending now. I know, I certainly feel happier with it. And you know, it's funny. A seminal moment for me in, in thinking of this was: you, did you guys watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I didn't watch much of it. I don't think you did either. Now, sorry. It's a show I loved, and there's a there was a beloved lesbian character uh, named Tara, and she got offed in one of the episodes. And when that happened. I literally jumped up out of my chair and I was like, I'm going to kill you, Joss Whedon. I can't believe you killed this, this great, you know, great queer character. And I found it really upsetting. It was sort of like, I stopped and went, Oh, this is why people were kind of peeved with me over Firelands. Interesting. So long answer to your question. Well, I'm interested now to read men and monster. Cause when I read men, men and beast, I didn't, I mean, it's been a long time, but nothing struck me as being really different in, in Man and Beast uh, from Frontiers, but now I'll be very interested to read Man and Monster and see if I can pick out, you know, the differences and if I even remember the end of Firelands. Well, one other change I made to Man and Beast, and, and maybe it's interesting that you feel like you didn't notice anything, was I've made John a little less hapless and a little less, um, I don't want to use the word whiny, but John was, you know, John was pretty emotionally expressive over feeling frustrated by things I found. And, you know, uh, again, I don't read a review and think, oh, I have to change everything, you know, readers say. But when you start to hear a common theme, you do start to think, well, maybe I should think about that. And there were people who found that version of John a little more, um, a little off-putting. And this time I don't seem to be getting that reaction at all. People, most of the people are just saying they love John. So hopefully it was a tweak for the better. Cool. If you were going to describe Man and Beast to uh, any to our listeners and potential readers out there, what would the elevator pitch for this book be? Because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so I, I'm interested in how you, the author, see this book. Okay, now this is the moment where we hit pause and I spend five minutes working on my <laughs> elevator pitch and then come back to you. My elevator pitch. Uh it's a historical novel that has got um, adventure and thriller and romance elements to it. It it is a bit of a strange beast. I tend to be a bit of a strange writer. I don't I, I don't seem to be satisfied with picking one straightforward genre and going with it because it's it's not gay literary fiction. Um, it's not straightforward gay romance. Uh, it's not especially Man and Beast has sort of got a, a strange two-part structure to it where in the middle of the book um, we pretty dramatically well I don't want to give anything away but in the middle of the book some stuff changes um, pretty quickly so again it's it's gay historical fiction um, about a man finding himself and, and finding you know love in a very unexpected place mm -hmm. did I pass the elevator pitch? <laughs> you did better than I did because when I tried to review the book Two, two, it'll be two weeks ago, I think, by the time this episode comes out. He was all over me saying, you're totally like underselling what this book is. Because <laughs> you're right, it covers a lot of ground and covers many different genres. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you know, they always, one of the writing tips they always tell you is, you know, pick a very clear genre and stick with it and, and you know, make it make it very easy to sell to your reader. And you know, my, my book is not 
easily pigeonholed. I mean, just looking at the Amazon, you know, also bots and whatnot, it's like, well, I don't quite fit in that category and I don't quite fit in that category and I don't quite fit in that category, but I've got elements of all of them. So I just have to get people to sort of move out of their comfort zone a little bit. I'd like people who are interested in, I think people who like romance would read this and go, oh, wow, I really like this relationship. I think people who like historical fiction would read this book and think, oh, wow, there's a lot of history here. You know, this guy did his research and it feels authentic. And I bring to light, hopefully some, in every book I try and bring to light some sort of, some part of American history that hasn't got a lot of attention. Um, in in uh, uh, Man and Beast, I talk about Maidenhutten, which is a, a massacre that took place of, of Delaware Indians. And I sort of like, I don't go on and on about it, but I try and make that part of the book and, and, it educates too strong. I just like bringing things to people's attention they might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading Frontiers, you know, back back in like '99 when it came out. It was among some of the first gay fiction I read, and it was totally enthralling and totally interesting that that could have happened back in the seventeen, you know, late 1700s. Well, there were certainly, I mean, whether they thought of themselves of, in, as gay in the, in the way we do, which I'm sure they probably didn't, they were there. I mean, one of George Washington's, you know, top generals um, was, in our terminology, was a gay man. You know, he had relationships. And the other, you know, the, the other generals and, and George probably knew about it. And they were like, well, you know, he's an upper class guy. He can do what he wants. You know, you're not in your face about it. He does his job. We're not going to be paying that much attention about it. We're fighting a war. You know, and obviously other people, you know, it, sodomy was a hanging offense for, you know, a long, long time. You could get flogged for it at the beginning of, of, of Man and Beast. That actually sets part of the plot in motion. So I don't want I'm not pretending that, you know, being gay was some sort of, of easy thing. It wasn't, but it certainly existed. I mean, you know, gay people, homosexuality has been around forever, as, as we all well know. Do you foresee more in the Savage Land series? I have a third book in mind. It's called Man and Demon. And it, again, the books are all standalones. Man and Demon would take more of the characters. It would take both of the two new characters I introduced. Man and Demon focuses on a trapper and a Delaware Indian um, who develop a relationship together. And Man and Demon will take um, all of the characters from Man and Beast, Man and Monster, and then go with a, a, another story involving uh, an actual historical event um, that involved uh, the Native Americans at the time sort of struggling to, to hold on to their land. So it won't introduce a new romantic relationship, but it will involve you know, all the characters from the first two books. And I, I, I definitely want to write it. It will be a while before I get to since I am now off on the Drowning World series. Right, which is a perfect segue. I mean, with Drowning World, you're going way back. 5500 BC. <laughs> what have we got to look forward to with these books? Again, you'd think I would learn to just, you know, pick an era and stick with it. Like KJ Charles, you know, she writes, you know, these fantastic books set in England and, you know, she's, you know, has got her world and she's sticking with it. Meanwhile, I'm running back 5,000 years. Um, Drowning World, again, it's, it's, it's similar to Man and Beast and Man and Monster in that it's, it's gay historical fiction, um, just set in a very different time and place. Uh, it involves, you know, two men uh, who aren't together at the beginning of the book, but I don't think I'm not a shocking spoiler surprise here, but who end up finding their way to each other. 
And again, I'm taking an actual historical event um, from 5500 BC and weaving my story around it. And this time I'm, I'm kind of doing it on a, a bigger, more epic scale. I've got the three books all planned out already. Um, it's the uh, A Broken Land, A Treacherous Sea, and A Fiery Sky are the three books. And um, I, I don't want to tell too much about it at this point, but A Broken Land is set in ancient Turkey. The whole Drowning World series is, is set in ancient Turkey. And it's built around actual historical event, and it's it's world-spanning. And, and Well, it's not quite world-spanning, but uh, that time and place, it was you know spanning the, the, the known world. And involves my characters having to overcome some, you know, pretty harrowing challenges in order to save themselves and save their world. I would even go so far as to say. Mm-hmm. Is there an expected release date yet? It's going to be the second half of 2017. I've got a Drowning World. Um, excuse me, a Broken Land is actually out to beta readers right now. And come January 2nd, I'm going to start working on a Treacherous Sea. And I'd like to have a treacherous sea done and ready to go, um, so that people who really enjoy Broken Land then don't have to wait, you know, a year for the the next book. I think self-publishing and and e-publishing in general has kind of changed people's expectations. You know, years ago we were used to waiting a year between an author's books, especially in a series, and and now I feel like that expectation has changed. So I'd like to have both books ready to go, and then uh, the third book will come out a little bit. Uh, a little bit later than that. Nice. Now, what attracts you to writing historical fiction? Well, it's funny. I've always been attracted to both historical and science fiction as a reader and as a writer. And I think that's because so often the present can either feel rather mundane or, especially lately, kind of depressing. Um, and so I, I like to escape both into the future and into the past. And I would write science fiction, except I'm not nearly smart enough to write science fiction. I mean, you have writing about gravity and trajectories and planet orbits. It's like, no, 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 no. I just, I couldn't write that very well. Uh, Historical fiction is the thing I I especially drawn to. And I like the farther back you go, the more you can sort of play with things because the less, you know, we know, the less concrete stuff we have. Obviously, man and beast and man and monster um, is, we, have a pretty good idea of what was going on um, at the time, obviously. But even with with Man and Beast and John Chapman's life, there's not a huge written documentation of his life. So there was a lot of room for me uh, to go in and create my version of his life. And so I I really like that about historical fiction. And with the Drowning World series, going all the way back to 5500 BC, there's obviously no written record that far back. We've got an archaeological record. And so for me as a writer, I'm able to go and do the research and and look at the, the ancient sites and the Um, you know, read about the documentation of what they've learned about them, but nobody knows what their cultures were actually like. So I get to make it all up. And as a writer, that's incredibly fun. I mean, the, the three different cultures, primarily three different cultures I touch on in the Drowning World series are all based in actual, you know, archaeological artifacts and the documentation that we have. But I get to say, you know, my interpretation of why they came to be and what they did and how they lived. And that's just tremendously fun for me. I love reading that and I I love writing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How much research do you do, would you say, for a typical book? I mean... Too much? Um, I remember when I wrote Man and and Beast, or Frontiers at the time, I, uh, and this is pre, well, I mean, not quite pre-internet, but the internet was a lot less, 
you know, sophisticated. There was a lot less information available at that point. So I was doing a lot at the library and through interlibrary loans, you know, getting books and, and doing stuff. And I, I think I was up, I was in my ninth month of research when my husband Brent came into my office one day and said, that's it. You're done doing the research. You can't make this any more authentic than you. You need to write the damn book. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I, I need to stop doing all this research. And I, I, mean, I really enjoyed it. I love learning. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was really fun with Man and Beast that I was able to get original resources, original sources through – there's something called interlibrary loan. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but you can find um, any book or any record anywhere in the country. And if there's only one library that has it and they're part of the interlibrary loan, you can get it sent to you. So – I was able to find the the first written records of the places in Western Pennsylvania where I set um, Man and Beast. So I was able to get those and read them. And often they were quite boring. It was literally things like, you know, the, the John Smith family arrived in the settlement today. They had two horses and three donkeys and eight barrels of, of flour. But that also allowed a real authenticity. It was like I could read exactly what a settler would show up with and, and what they ate. Uh, and so that was great. And I even found this this wonderful colonial American dictionary that had all of these bizarre words in it. And, you know, I again, maybe I wove too many of them into Man and Beast at the time, but words like Gundy gut, um, you know, just all kinds of, of fun words like that. So I just did a ton of research. And then the same thing with, with uh, uh, the Drowning World series. I probably did close to a year's worth of research and that was even um more complicated because i was doing i did, actually i didn't know i was going to do three different cultures at the time but i was researching all of these different cultures around the black sea and figuring out okay who do i want to use and and how do i want to incorporate this and how is this one different from that and i've got i've got binders of of notes of of things i took of of you know creating the worlds that's quite impressive i don't think Nothing. I'm glad I write contemporary. I don't have to look any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I would be more productive if I wrote contemporary, that's for sure. For listeners who are interested in this type of fiction, do you have any favorites that you would recommend to them? Well, I mean, for uh, more like Man and Beast, sort of, uh, you know, the 1700s, um, this is actually uh, set in England, but there's a wonderful book called uh, As Meat Loves Salt that is just, it's a fantastic book. I mean, it was it was... You talk about, I mean, some people think Man and Beast is, is a pretty dark book. I mean, As Meat Loves Salt is really dark, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's set in England, um, I think in the 1800s, and uh, is about a, a ex-soldier. It's just a fantastic book, so I would highly recommend that. Um, I mentioned K.J. Charles. I think she writes, you know, wonderful historical stuff. Uh, stuff set on the American frontier, I mean, there's, there's not a lot I can think of off the top of my head, but other gay historical fiction, um, anything by Mary Renault. I think is absolutely wonderful. I think she just does just she true literary genius. I think she's just fantastic. And then stuff that's not necessarily gay, obviously for the drowning world, one of the big inspirations, even though these books take place 35,000 years further in the past, um, the clan of the cave bear mm. books by Gene all. Um, I actually went back and read those, read the first couple ones um, before I started writing the drowning world, just to sort of get back into that mindset. Cause I feel like she does such a wonderful job of, of getting into the head, especially in the first book, Clan of the Cave Bear. The other ones become a little more contemporary and maybe a little soap opery. But that first book, I really sort of felt like, wow, I'm I'm back in that time and in that character's mindset. So I, I could recommend that as well. Cool. Now, Firelands came out 2004. Yep. And then it looks like there was a 
significant gap in your novel writing until you've come back to revisit them. What's brought you back after so many years away? Well, I wound up getting distracted. Um, I actually was working on a very early version of The Drowning World um, right after I worked on Firelands. That was actually the book I was working on when a friend and I had an idea for a website um, we co-founded together called After Elton, which covered – I'm always doing something gay. I've, I've, I've always – it's been a passion. It's something I've always been drawn to. And so after Elton uh, covered gay pop culture. And so I originally that was more just kind of a side thing I was doing on the side. And back in the early days, we were doing one article a week and then we went to one article a day. And then eventually it became you know a, a full-time job. And I did that for, gosh, that must have gone on for five or six years. And then finally um, that job ended. And honestly, I was so burnt out. I, working online is this it's a 24-hour seven-day-a-week monster i mean you know especially when you're if you're involved in any kind of breaking news i mean i cannot tell you how many friday evenings um you know i think keith ledger died on a friday evening and so that you know all of a sudden i'm at my computer keyboard you know writing about him and what he meant and broke back mountain um just there was something every single day of the week and and frankly it sort of became a strain on, on my relationship with brent that i was working so hard so when that ended i just took a year off it was like i i need some time off um and it really took almost a year off and then uh i don't know i, I did a couple other things i, I wrote some online edu educational curriculum and i was like you know i really miss writing novels i mean that's always been my first passion that's the thing i want to get back to and I was sort of trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do. I've got a, a I did write a contemporary novel, actual, actually a, a, a horror novel that it's always got something gay about it. It's about a group of friends, including a gay couple that will hopefully see the, the light of day at some point. Uh, and then I went back, I just couldn't get away from the drowning world. I just, I love that idea and that world. So I started working on that. Um, and I've been working on various incarnations of that, you know, ever since then. So and then I got the rights back to Firelands and Frontiers, and I stopped to get those up on uh, and available as ebooks. And so it's sort of been zigzagging all over the place a little bit. But it's always been writing novels has always been my passion. I wrote my first book in the sixth grade, so you know it's it's not a surprise. I eventually keep coming back to it. That's awesome. So you mentioned a couple things that are happening after the Drowning World. You've got the other book to do in Savage Land, this horror book that you've done. What else do you see on your horizon, or is that enough of a horizon for right now? <laughs> that is enough of a horizon right now. I'm having trouble getting past getting past today, much less the past. I, I need to do a blog post about the past three weeks of my life, which have been utterly insane with everything I've, I've had going on. Um, as you know, I mean, we we decided to sell our house and move, so we had to get out of our house, move to a new apartment. We had to, you and I had to do the, the big gay giveaway, mm -hmm. and then I was releasing uh, 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 Man and Beast, you know, my first book in 12 years, all within a three-week period. So and you threw the Thanksgiving holiday in there at the same time, too, and just mixed it all in. I did. Honestly, looking back over those three weeks, it's sort of thing, I couldn't have done it, I couldn't have survived it. If you had told me ahead of time, here's everything you're going to have to do in the next three weeks, I would have said hell no and walked out the door and, you know, you would have found me, you know, in, in Tahiti somewhere. But it was sort of – each thing sort of kept coming up one at a time. And so it was like, oh, okay, I just need to do this today. I just need to do this today. All right, I've got this coming. I could just do it bit by bit and somehow got through it. So 
my horizon is is right now my horizon just really extends out to uh man and monster which comes out on on january 4th and literally been trying to get promotion set up for that and get out review copies and um you know i i sent out my first my very first newsletter went out today um for the first time ever and i came up with this idea of doing a a giveaway apple's figure well not surprised with johnny appleseed but apple's figure pretty prominently in, in man and beast so in my newsletter, I decided to give away five copies of Man and Monster to the first five people who could unscramble five different varieties of apples. And I thought, oh, a few people will do this. You know, I'll get a few entries. I got 65 people writing in with their answers to this. And I, you know, you want to respond to everybody who does that. So my whole day got swallowed up, you know, <laughs> responding to everybody. It's been great. I mean, it's really been fun. It's been fun. I love interacting with people. I love interacting with fans. Um, but I usually like to be have it planned out a little bit more instead of, you know, I literally got up this morning and I thought, oh, I wonder if anybody bothered to solve the the puzzle. You know, did anybody figure out what the apples were? And I clicked on download my email on my iPhone. I'm laying in bed and it's like message popping up after message saying, here it is. Hope I'm not too late. Here are my entries. And I mean, in 10 minutes, I had my five winners and they've just continued coming in all day long. So I'm, if you entered and didn't get the book, I'm really sorry. We'll do another contest. <laughs> That's awesome that you got that response off the first off the first newsletter. It, yeah, it was it was gratifying. It was a lot of fun to do. So we've mentioned your husband Brent a couple of times, and for those who who don't know, he is the author, probably best known for the Geography Club. Yeah, and, and and that series of books. What's it like living in a total creative household where you're both writers? Uh, you know, I've never lived in any other kind of household, so it's it's hard to compare it to. Um, I would say it's it's the best of worlds and the worst of worlds. We never drive each other crazy obsessing about our books. Um, you know, we both are aware of how that happens. We're both aware of you know the amount of of concentration it can take you know to work on it. I mean, Brent especially is incredibly focused, and you know when he's writing um, one of the Russell books, he can literally get sucked in for a month and you know barely come up for air. And I just it's like, oh, okay, that's what he does, and I know that. You know, we don't have kids, we don't have other competing interests, so we're just able to to let that happen. But the the downside to it is neither one of us is very good about pulling the other out of it. You know, we don't have another. Uh, perspective to say, hey, I think you you know you need to broaden your focus a little bit, or you need to step away from the computer and not work on your book because you know, frankly, the other one is usually you know has their their nose down in a book. Um, honestly, I would take it this way then a different way because I feel like you know we're on the same wavelength. There's no conflict over. Gosh, I wish you wouldn't spend so much time working on your books, or or I, I want to do this other thing. And we do other things, you know, definitely together. Um, but it's, it's pretty nice. I, I can't complain about it. Very cool. So what's the best way for people to keep up with you online? Probably Facebook. Um, we're, we have a divide in our household. Brent is a Twitter person, and I'm a Facebook person. I try and do Twitter. I just don't – I don't quite get Twitter. I don't enjoy Twitter. Neither does <laughs> Say what? Twitter doesn't make any sense at all. Brent loves it, and he does it well. I don't. I just don't feel like I do Twitter very well, um, and I just I find that deluge of information to yeah. just just be too much trying to sort through it. I just it's not my cup of tea. Whereas Facebook. I like Facebook for, I mean, I know Facebook isn't perfect, but I like Facebook for a lot of reasons. I like it because I'm able to keep in touch with people all over the world. I've got, you know, uh, friends and, and almost family who live in Australia and New Zealand. And because of Facebook, I can keep up with them 
incredibly easy and I've reconnected with old friends, but I also find I, I'm really able to sort of express and be myself on Facebook. I've got kind of a weird sense of humor and I feel like I'm able where Twitter, I feel like I'm not a very, very genuine person. I try, but I just don't express myself very well. Facebook, if you follow me on Facebook, you're going to get a pretty good sense of who I am. You know, you're going to find out I like dark chocolate. You're going to see I'm kind of obsessed with Seattle, the city I live in. Um, you know, I, I like posting, you know, weird, funny things. Uh, I like sharing my life. I mean, you know, one of the, some of the most popular things I post on Facebook are about Brent and I, I, I posted a picture in our new apartment of our, of our cake wedding toppers. Um, mm -hmm. and I got like a hundred likes on that. And cause people like, I feel like Facebook lets people get a glimpse of me and sort of a real sense of who I am. So Facebook is definitely, you know, a, a great place to keep in touch with me. I email all the time so people can come visit me at michaeljensen.com. Um, you can email me through the website. I pretty much respond to, you know, everybody, maybe not immediately, but, but pretty quickly. And I, I do look at Twitter every day. So it's not like if you contact me through Twitter, I will completely ignore you. Instagram. I haven't, I know I should set it up, but honestly, there's just, <clears throat> there's only so many social media hours in the day that I just, you know, that's one I just haven't even looked at at this point. And Tumblr, I did Tumblr for a while and Tumblr seems to have died. <laughs> now, what about your amazing newsletter? Where can people sign up for that? If you go to michaeljensen.com, um, I make it very easy. The first time you go there, a little window pops up, um, and it'll only pop up once. If you come there, you're not going to – every page you click to, I'm not going to be you know, bugging <laughs> you to sign up for my newsletter. I hate people who do that. But you go there once, it pops up. You put in your name, and you're on my newsletter, and you'll get my next newsletter, which will be out uh, early January. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank much you. success to you my, on the My first podcast interview. Incredible I really book. appreciate it. And uh, when Drowning World comes out, we'll have to have you come back and explain what's going on in 5500 BC. I would absolutely love to do it. And thanks again to Michael for coming by and talking to us about his books. I can't wait to read uh, his new stuff uh, with that series that's going back into like the 5500 BC. Yeah, it's that's crazy. That's uh, <laughs> really historic fiction right it there. It's going to be good. That's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up in episode 63, we have Jay from Joyfully Jay, and she's going to be here to talk about her picks for the best of 2016. Yeah, looking forward to that. Hope you guys have a great week. Yeah. Keep reading, guys, and we'll see you later. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 